Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thursday, January the 25th, and your Ben Jarofsky show starts now. Today on the show, Ben welcomes a brand new guest, Northeastern Illinois University professor, Gabriel Cortez. The Ben Jarofsky show, a presentation of the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, well, you might want to head to ChicagoReader.com because if you're in Chicago or if you're going to Chicago, all those questions will be answered. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky, just head to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Saint Ain't So Paul. Thursday, and here's why the Paul Nett sentence is Paul Vallis. And uh, I have just taken special delight in this just uh, flurry of articles that have uh, hit Twitter. I uh, mean, I'm like, Ben, you're reading Twitter. Okay, shout out Frank. Uh, listener Frank reads Twitter, so I don't have to, uh, as does listener uh, Pat and uh, Pat Whalen. Uh, you know, I got a lot of people in my life that uh, are on Twitter, so that I don't have to be. And God bless every single one of you. Uh, so this one is really funny. All right, let me just uh, set the table, ladies and gentlemen. The Paul in question is Paul Vallis. You remember him. Uh, all the North Side liberals said, oh, I'm going to vote for Paul Vallis because he's got <laughs> North Side liberals, you're so weird. The people you fall for, you fell in love with Paul Vallis. Of all people. Good God. I knew so many parents on the North Side in the 90s. They were so mad at Paul Vallis. For some of the stuff he implemented with their schools and their kids when they changed busing schedules. Long, ancient story. Nobody cares. I'm not going to go down the path and repeat it. Okay? I'm just telling you how things change. There were so many parents. Oh, that dastardly Vallis. Fast forward 30 years later. We like him, Ben. He speaks to us. Then there's the issue is, is he a Democrat or a Republican? Now, uh, many, many years ago when he began in politics, he was uh, a Democrat. You know, he worked for Daly. Uh, that's Mayor Daly, Richard M. Daly, youngsters. You're Daly. I remember the old man. Um, he worked for Daly. So, you know, that means he's a Democrat. But then he started moving right. You know, oh God, he loves charter schools the way I love fried chicken. I mean, he loves charter schools the way I love uh, the Chicago Bulls. He loves privatization deals and schemes. But he hates unions. Oh, my God. Particularly the teachers' union. So the man, yeah, he, then, then he said in some talk show that he's a Republican. Remember that? Uh, and uh, he showed up at this extreme far right wing outfit out in Naperville. Give a speech. You know, the, the, remember the anti-woke movement? 
uh, that they were trying to spread in the suburbs hasn't really worked out that well. Uh, shout out Kelly Garcia for breaking that story. Uh, so, yeah, sure looked like he was a Republican, but now he's running for mayor one-on-one against Brandon Johnson, and he needs Democratic votes, so he assures the people, city of Chicago, I am a lifelong Democrat. And he gets all of these Dems. What were you guys thinking, by the way, when you endorsed him to sign on? That they believe in Paul, that he's a lifelong Democrat. I'm just going to do off the top of my head a list of some of them. Uh, Senator Durbin, hello, come on down. Remember that show? Come on down. <laughs> Arnie Duncan, come on down. Who are, uh, Jesse White, come on down. Oh, my God. Uh, Walter Burnett. And then Tom Tunney, Alderman of the 43rd Ward, just loved Paul Vallis. Okay. And they wanted to assure uh, Northside liberals that not Paul Vallis was a lifelong Democrat, except for the part of his life where he was a Republican. Uh, hence, then, he's not a lifelong Democrat. Uh, and he supported a woman's right to choose, despite the fact that he uh, spoke before this group that was notoriously anti-abortion. So, you know, I don't know. I guess they convinced uh, Northside liberals to go ahead with it. You know, Chicago voters not the brightest people in the world, ladies and gentlemen. I've said that more than once. Uh, and he lost, though. Okay. But no, don't feel sorry for him. He went to work for some right-wing outfit writing. Uh, I don't know what he does for the right-wing outfit. Uh, and he writes uh, occasional editorials for uh, the Chicago Tribune editorial board, uh, speaking of right-wing outfits. Uh, and then uh, yesterday, uh, or I forget when it was, story broke. Uh, it, it, was a, it was actually a promotion piece uh, put out by the Republican Party of Illinois, or Chicago. Uh, and I will now read that this uh uh, promotion piece. Welcome, Paul Vallis. Monday, Monday, Monday. <laughs> that was. I'm not kidding, folks. The headline is Monday, Monday, Monday. There used to be a commercial years ago showing my age, uh, where they go Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I think it was. It was a drag racing in uh, Wisconsin. Anyway, uh, former CPS CEO Paul Vallis hasn't been CPS C. He hasn't been CPS CEO since like 2001, Republicans. I don't know. Has he done anything? In the last, that's like calling me former, what would they call me? Former Evanston High School grad <laughs> scholar. It's been a while since I've been at Evanston High School. Uh, anyway, former CPS CEO Paul Vallis will be our guest speaker for a Chicago Republican Party fundraiser. Mm, a fundraiser for the Republican Party. Whoa, Paul, let your freak flag fly again. Okay, you're Republican freak flag. Hold on, ladies and gentlemen. Here comes a clarification from Paul Vallis. Uh, he sent out a, uh, a tweet, or a tweet came out saying, no, unbeknownst to him, his name was used by a group having an event, and he had nothing to do with it, didn't know about it, etc. Okay? And then Bulldog Greg Pratt, Chicago Tribune reporter, uh, <laughs> He called up the Republican Party. Oh, Greg, you're funny, man. Uh, here's his tweet. The Chicago Republican Party has a different story. Quote, the nature of the event was fully explained to Mr. Ballas. Uh, and then uh, so there's a statement from the chairman of the Chicago Republican Party that says, the Chicago Republican Party is disappointed that Paul Ballas has withdrawn as a speaker at our upcoming event. The purpose in inviting him was to hear differing views and create meaningful discussion on solutions for the critical problems facing our city in hope of finding common ground. 
Mr. Vallis was invited as a policy expert who is affiliated with the Illinois Policy Institute, not a politician. We have hosted other policy experts at past events. The nature of the event was fully explained to Mr. Vallis. So I don't know who to believe. <laughs> I mean, I guess you, I mean, if a, if a Republican says it, does that necessarily mean it's a lie? There's always that. Okay. You know, who should I believe? I am torn between two not lovers, feeling like a fool. You know who must really feel like a fool if they're paying attention? All those Dems in Chicago who endorse Paul Vallis, Durbin, Tawny, Walter Burnett, Jesse White, Anthony Beal, I see all you guys. Oh, he really is a Democrat, golly gee. Come on, Chicago. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. At least you can laugh, I hope. At your strange foibles. All right. A man, a very patient man, has sat through uh, their opening rant and rail. Uh, and, and he's a first-time guest to my show, Gabriel Cortez. Welcome to my humble podcast. Hello, everyone. I say thank you, Ben, for having me, ma'am. I'm really excited uh, to just uh, break bread with you. And in terms of what you're saying, uh, I have a great friend, uh, rest in peace, Magda Gonzalez, who would always tell me, in Chicago, it's not about who you know or what you know, it's about what you know about who you know. <laughs> Whoa, I didn't know where you are going with that, but that was good. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. I'll never forget uh, it. I, I was like 14 years old when she said that, and I'll never, and she, you know, rest in peace, Magda. What's they, your name? Magda Gonzalez. Estelle. Um, you know, she was uh, from the neighborhood, uh, queen of uh, so many blocks. <laughs> but uh, I'll never forget that, because that's true, right? In terms of Chicago, it's... Um, Everybody knows each other, and we got something on each other. Uh, that is so true. It's about not just – well, if it's true about Chicago, it's probably true about the world. Uh, and uh, all right, uh, so let's get down to business. And uh, so first of all, shout-out David Perdue. Uh, he came to me. He goes, you have to have my friend Gabriel Cortez on your show. Uh, he's got a lot to say, uh, and you should just bring him on. And you know what? He's not steered me wrong, uh, David Perdue. He has been a guest on my show many times, great artist. Uh, great thinker, uh, has has a different way of viewing the world. Uh, and he was the one who told me about Andre Vasquez long before Andre was an alderman. Uh, David goes, you have to have Andre Vasquez on your show. Uh, so I don't know if Gabriel Cortez is going to use his show to launch a political career, uh, but uh, <laughs> he's shaking his head no. Uh, so uh, Damien tells me that you grew up across the street from him uh, way back when uh, in the 90s, I guess, or the 80s. Uh, and uh, and you've gone on to bigger and better things, maybe not different things, let's say. Right. Uh, you're a professor. Yeah. Uh, so why don't you give introduce yourself, if you will, to my right. listeners. Go ahead. All right. Well, my full name is Gabriel Alejandro Cortez Cortez Luna Canales, right? Uh, my friends call me Gabriel. My parents call me. My family call me uh, Gabriel. But uh, born and raised West Town. I didn't know it was West Town until the yuppies started moving in because they were like, <laughs> For real, because we're like Chicago and Damon. We're from Chicago and Damon. And then I was like, where's this West Town place like in the mid-90s? <laughs> but, you know, uh, but born and raised, my parents are from Mexico. But West Town is a neighborhood that, that rarely gets spoken about, right? Yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, diverse. I grew up with diversity, but it wasn't easy. Uh, you know, I grew up on, on Chicago Avenue, 2135 West Chicago Avenue. We had a corner store in the middle of the block, right across the street. <laughs> it wasn't a corner store, right? But uh, it was that type of life. But we grew up with Ukrainians, Italians, Puerto Ricans, Mexicans. Uh, Latinos were coming in during the 80s. We moved there in 81. I was born in 74. 
on on uh, Walcott and Huron, right? So that's where I grew up. Uh, in terms of what I do now, I'm a professor in educational leadership. I prepare school principals at Northeastern Illinois University. I also run, I'm the director of the Elastic Leadership Institute, which is a higher ed master's program, in particular looking to help elevate Latino uh, students and become leaders in higher education, right? So that's what I do in terms of my job, but in terms of being a Chicago and I, you know, Chicago's the middle of the world, man. And, and we have so many stories. I'm a historian in education. That's what I've been uh, trained for. I feel blessed because there's so many stories, right? Our, our communities, I, I grew up in an area where it was gang infested. Like every other three blacks was an other gang. The Spanish D's, the C-notes, right? You had the Latin Kings, you had uh, the dragons, uh, the gents, the Vikings, all of that. So, so I grew up. But, you know, both domestic violence, not in my home, thank God. My dad was a, was a, was a he was a yeller, but not a hitter, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm blessed for that because uh, that was not too common, right, in, in, in the disenfranchised communities. But in Chicago, in terms of uh, domestic violence was rampant in my neighborhood, also uh, substance abuse, right, and community violence, where it was not, uh, you know, normal to see violence, right? And that's what, what uh, provoked me to become an educator. I want to do something about this, right? Uh, so, you know, along with many mentors and more mentors who helped me along the way, I went to U of I, Urbana-Champaign, graduated from uh, Prosser Vocational High School back in the day, 92, 92 Bronze's mother, right? And, um, you know, Westside, yeah, I went there, you know, just a little bit of, of, of Chicago history. I went to Prosser, even though I grew up on Chicago and Damon, because Wells and Clemente High School were my, were my community schools. But they, you know, they were known for having fights, right, and, and riots. They would actually have riots, right? If you talk to people, hopefully sometime in the future, I'll do a study on that. But when I was in high school between 88 and 92, uh, you would hear riots between Black students and Latino students, right, in different high schools, Bogan, mm -hmm. uh, Washington, right, uh, uh, Farragut, especially Farragut. They would actually make it to the news, right? But, but you hear these other stories from people that you just know. And, and, and uh, talking to people in Wells, they'll tell you, like, man, the second floor, the third floor, it was an all-out riot, you know, people throwing chairs, all of that. And so I went to Prosser just not for its, uh, <laughs> what they have to offer, just because it didn't have a, a reputation of violence, right? Mm -hmm. And I will say this, like, like I feel so blessed because we were all cool in Prosser. It was a third Black, a third Latino, and a third White. And thank God we didn't have the, the similar type of issues, right? You know, I grew up, in the neighborhood, West Town, Chicago, Damon, it was pretty anti-Black, you know? You had the Shy West, uh, which were, you know, Eastern European uh, gang members, but, but they were fading away, right? But their uh, gang sign was the asterisk. I mean, the asterisk, the, the swastika, right? So you would see that in the neighborhood, <laughs> walking around. Then we also had the, the C-Notes, which is an Italian uh, American gang, uh, and they were fading away as well. Right, you had the pipeline of Italian Americans going to Franklin Park, going from our neighborhood, Franklin Park, uh, EP, Elmwood Park, all of that. So you, you see that transition. I was lucky because I was young at the time, so I grew up with that diversity. My two older brothers weren't so lucky because when we moved in to uh, Chicago Avenue, they had to deal with the uh, with the older white gangbangers. And, and uh, people like if you're not from Chicago, you don't know white gangbangers. They're they're the worst ones. <laughs> <laughs> and they get away with so much stuff, right? 
and, and um, so I seen that growing up. My brothers had to learn how to defend themselves. But the funny thing about Chicago in the 80s, everybody was fighting. But in the 90s, people were hanging out at bars and saying, man, what, what were we fighting about? Oh, <laughs> the yeah. ones who survived. The ones who survived, right? Because not everyone survived. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. There's so much to uh, follow up on with that one. Uh, but when you talk about uh, tough white kids from Chicago, it reminds me of a story. Uh, shout out Adolfo. He's heard me tell the story so many times. I love telling his story. So I went to Evanston High School, uh, and um, I had a very sheltered life, Gabriel, compared to your very sheltered. I'll put that right out there right now. Uh, I didn't get into fights. I ran away from fights. I hate fighting. I hate punching. I hate getting punched. I'm like, I'm not getting into a fight. Uh, and so... <clears throat> And I grew up around liberals and, uh, and lefties, uh, and they all said the, the, you know, the right things, okay? Whether what they did was a whole other issue. So that was my upbringing, very sheltered uh, suburban upbringing. Uh, at some point in high school, this young man uh, moved to Evanston from the southwest side of Chicago, black kid, and became friends. We used to meet at the park at night, smoke reefer. And he told me, he goes, and I'm paraphrasing, he said he came from Kennedy High School, which is on the southwest side of Chicago. He goes, Benny, the white kids at Kennedy are not like the white kids in Evanston. <laughs> These are different kind of white kids. I'm like, there's different kind of white kids out there in the world that I'm used to? He goes, These are tough white kids. You don't want to mess with these white kids. And I was like, okay, there's another world outside of Evanston, huh? Uh, it sure is in Chicago. I mean, you know, and again, like, like uh, one of our movies growing up was Bad Boys. I don't know if you remember. Bad yeah, Boys. Bad Boys. Oh, man, goodness. The, uh, what's his face? Uh, Sean uh, Penn. Cy Morales. Yeah. Uh, who played uh, 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 Paco, I think it was. But, but you know, in that movie, you see that, right? You know, uh, Sean Penn playing that, that white gambler. And that's what we don't see today, you know, or most of it because that type of, uh, I guess, uh, second, third generation of, of white ethnic groups have, are no longer in the city as much as before, right? You don't really see white gangs in the city, at least I don't. <laughs> but now as before, you had the gay lords, the popes, right? You know, you had... All right, so I got to ask you this question. This is the other question I had. Um, so when telling that tale, and now you're looking back from the perspective of a man uh, who's almost 50, when you look back in your life and you see yourself now, you're a professor and uh, you're teaching the future principles mm -hmm. of Chicago. We'll get into public schools in a little bit. Uh, and you think of yourself in the neighborhood you grew up in uh, in the 80s. Really, you grew up in the 80s right. uh, and into the early 90s. Uh, do you ever think, oh, my God, if not for like, I could have gone a different way. It could have turned out differently for me if I hadn't done X, Y, or Z. If I hung in, hadn't hung out with Damien, if I hadn't done this, that, I'd just throw Damien in there. If I hadn't done X, Y, or Z, it would have been turned out differently. Do you have moments of reflection like that? Oh, yeah. All the time. Uh, you know, I'm a thinker, right? Like, like my mind's always going, not to say that I'm correct all the time, but um, I think back, and actually Damien, Damien he, uh, he was a big part. Uh, not, uh, well, yeah, actually a big part. He introduced us to hip-hop. Back in the you know late '80s, right? We we used to listen to uh, hip hop on the radio, of course, commercial hip hop. But he was like, no, no, you need to listen to some public enemy, you know. And the thing that the reason he got in tune because he went to Whitney on high school, right? You know, which has like a, you know a black culture, which people kind of like 
beat off, right? Which was, you know, great. And so we're like, you know, he would play these uh, records and, and we were getting into the groove and, and he was always the critical one. You know, you know, his parents are, are were, were hippies, right? So, so they were social justice advocates, all of that. So he was the second generation and sharing that with us, right? So he's one of the first friends that I had that opened up my mind with a critical point of view. And I always, you know, I'll never forget that, right? About Damon, uh, Damon. But in terms of uh, how things could have gone another way, you know, I have two older brothers who, who always say they're the ones, they're the reason why I'm a professor, right? My family uh, supporting me, my brothers, they, they protected me in that neighborhood. People knew, whoever knew us, like the family or, or just, you know, our, our group of friends, they're like, don't get Gabriel high or don't mess with him because, you know, Gerald Louie going to beat you up. <laughs> our own friends are like, man, we're not going to do anything with you, right? But uh, because of that, I was able to focus in school and go to U of I, right? But there was a moment, Ben, and this is typical in Chicago neighborhoods, right? And I'm not saying everything's the same, but, you know, it's just typical I had my chain stolen, chain stolen by, uh, uh, I think he was a gang member. You know, he, he thought I was a Sino, which is, a you know, the Italian gang. The Italian gang was actually mixed by them. They had Latinos in there and all that, right? He stole my chain. I saw him again. Then I saw him a third time. And my brother was with me and he chased him, caught up with him and beat him up in front of everybody in, uh, uh, on the corner of uh, just past Damon in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I went. And my brother was, this the guy? This the guy? He's all bleeding. I'm like, damn, it kind of felt like a, a slap shot when they was like, is it this one? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's him, right? And he was like, punch him in the face. You know, I have him. He was bleeding. He was crying. And my brother was just like, punch him, like, like get your licks in. And I remember punching my, my fist. And I was like, you got him already. Like, you got him. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm not trying to add to this. And I'm thinking if I would have swung, I probably would have liked it. Right, because I was, you know, I had the advantage at that given time, and, and I probably would have liked it. Who knows, what, you know, if I wanted some more, right? <laughs> so thank God I did not. Uh, and I always think about that because those are situations that I've seen in the neighborhood where you make one mistake and you just go the, the other way. Yeah, go the other way. Wow. Yeah, uh, glad you didn't make that mistake. All right. Um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, Black Hispanic or Black Latino relations in the city of Chicago. Uh, and the so-called uh, immigrant crisis or migrant crisis, I call it a so-called crisis because I actually think it's an opportunity. And mm-hmm. I realize I'm the only person in the city of Chicago who views it as an opportunity. And so it's kind of a joke of myself. Um, but since you mentioned education and right. your day job, I got to ask you this. The front page news uh, in today's Sun-Times, I'll show you, I actually have a newspaper. Right. Um, has to do with this moment we're at like this uh, juncture in chicago mm-hmm. and, uh, politics and education and the politics of education where the board of education which has been appointed by uh, mayor brandon johnson is considering uh, ending uh, as we know it the charter school uh, program in the city uh, right. and this the charter school movement in the city of chicago is been going strong for a little more than 20 years. Right. I remember it was Mayor Daly and Paul Vallis who got it going and Arnie Duncan, you know, really became a cheerleader as well. And the Dems, Barack Obama loved charter schools. Uh, and the notion that charter schools were going to be different than quote unquote regular public schools. They were going to give parents choice, like your parents had a choice between Prosser, uh, Wells and um, Clemente. Uh, and uh, that each charter school would be run 
almost like it was an entrepreneurial endeavor and not an educational one. And they'd be free of having union contracts uh, and unions. Uh, and in my humble opinion, they became that last point was the most important point mm-hmm. for their supporters on the right. Uh, and the Republican Party embraced charters, uh, particularly because they understood that you could destroy teachers unions the right. more charters you have. So that to me is a, a nutshell of the history of charters. Uh, choice is a very important uh it's a very important concept in education, uh, and uh, destroying unions is a very important uh, goal of the Republican Party. So they came together, uh, and now it looks as though the Board of Ed, uh, Gabriel, may pull the plug. They may not give charters uh, ten-year contracts like the charters want, uh, right. guaranteeing their existence for another ten years. They may give them shorter contracts. It's not clear what they're going to do. Uh, but they talk a different game. They're not uh, wholeheartedly uh, waving the flag for charters the way past board members right. who were appointed by Daly and Rom and Lori Lightfoot did. Uh, so what's your general thought about charter school movement and where we're at? Uh, right. Go ahead. No, no, and, and that's a great question. Uh, uh, I mean, how much time do we have right now? I'm saying, oh. right. <laughs> well, you know, so first, you know, for me, I agree with the city's administration where, where, um, all public schools need to be equipped, right? But but it's easier to say it than actually do it. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of leaders in different, you know, communities are doing different things, right, that are not right. And I know that because I know people with, in CPS as well as the Park District, all of that, right? But in terms of uh, 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 what I have seen in communities, for example, the Noble Street uh, Charter Network, right? They're one of the biggest ones, uh, Mr. Milky, who, you know, who established it and been, got ousted for doing some shady stuff. I actually know friends who were his students, uh, you know, not only in, at Wells when he was there before, but his first graduating class. And so they would defend it to the end. Like, no, no, no. They, you know, I have one friend, uh, who says, I have nine brothers and sisters. I'm the youngest one, and I'm the only one that graduated from high school because I went to uh, a Noble Street Charter. Right. So I'm like, oh, damn, because I'm against charter schools. I'm like, you know, it should be all public schools. And so what I've learned, different schools have built communities. Right. You know, charter, uh, uh, you have public schools, community schools, et cetera, whatever. But in some of these places, they built community and they have a system where parents know them. They get uh, their students to, to colleges and, you know, universities, uh, other you know areas. And I can't deny that. When I saw that, I have a good friend, Aide Chavez, who actually works for Noble. She's like, this is what we're doing. And I'm like, wow, I can't deny that, right? So it becomes different spaces. But in terms of uh, what the cities are uh, proposing getting rid of it, you have to have parent voice, you know? And I, I haven't seen that. Uh, you have to have parents come in and say, look, this is what we want for our community or be involved one way or another to do a shift it's going to take a long time. You can't do it too short, at least in my opinion. But but in terms of that question of being private versus public, talking to my friend Aidea, I'm like, you're right. I go, I can't promise parents that's going to be better in this public school, right? In this community school, because we know there's a lot of corruption that has been taking place, right? And I'm not, it's not the new administration's fault, but it has a long history, right? So parents... This is why parents go to uh, the, the lotteries. I don't know if you've ever been to a lottery for charter schools, but parents show up and they, you know the price is right. That's what you were referring to earlier. And they're jumping up in joy when, they're, when your kids are getting caught. 
the way I see that, they're not looking at it from a broader perspective like we are right now. They just want a better opportunity for their children. And they're Absolutely. Hearing, Look at your yeah, parents. Exactly. Look at your story. You yeah, know. no, exactly. And I agree, right? And so, so that, you know, they're, they're, they're on survival mode. Hey, so, hey, this is my attitude about charters. Yeah. And get your thoughts on this. And I come from a very uh, different perspective than most people in the world. I admit that. Uh, I got no problem with charters. No, I, I understand exactly that what you're talking about. Like, you're a little kid, and you're not a big, strong kid, maybe. And your choice is Clemente, where there's blacks and Hispanics are fighting in the hallways. Farragut High, no joke in the early 90s, ladies and gentlemen, before Ronnie Fields, before Kevin Garnett. I, and now I realize as soon as I said the millennials, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So just forget I even said Kevin Garnett or Ronnie Fields, millennials, disease. Oh, my God. Just forget I even said them. Right. But before anybody over the age of 50 knows what I'm talking about, who Kevin Garnett is and who Ronnie Fields is and the impact they had on Farragut High. But, oh, my God, the, the stories coming out of Farragut, the fights between blacks and Hispanics. Crazy stuff. So a lot of parents are like, I need an alternative. I need a choice. So I understand that. I truly understand that, Gabriel. My problem with charters is they're cheap to their teachers. They're so freaking cheap to your teachers. How are you going to promote a teaching workforce by being tight-fisted? These charter school operators would go, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get tough on teachers. We're going to make it easy. We're going to fire them. We're going to make them take right. tests to be a teacher. And then we're going to cut their pay and their benefits. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> what industry can you grow and develop if that's your attitude going in? Right. Okay. So, no, that's terrible attitude, number one. And number two, if the teachers want to have a union, let them have a union. Why are you resisting the union? Then they all like to, all of a sudden they turn into Elon Musk, Gabriel. They're like, we're entrepreneurs. Yeah. We're not educators. We have to have freedom. What? Freedom what? To pay your teachers dirt? Is that what your freedom is? Just to fire a teacher whenever you want to? Because Billy Bob's mom doesn't want the teacher to teach anymore? You hear what I'm saying, Gabriel? Yeah, so no. that is my problem with charters. Go. Oh. And you opened that door, right? So, so I mean, uh, where do we see charter schools in, in white affluent communities, right? You know, you only see them in disenfranchised communities, mostly black and Latino. So I totally agree with you. And then in terms of the quality, uh, for me, uh, there's a great book called uh, "Why Are Why Do We Why Why Do Corporations Keep Bashing Public Schools?" by Susan O'Hanian. Uh, she wrote that earlier, uh, maybe about 20 years ago, but breaks down this national movement, right? where Ross Perot actually was one of the first ones to put money in Texas for private, you know, yeah. for charters, right? So there's a long history to that. And to me, it's neoliberalism. You know, we're, 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 we're not taxing the rich, right? We cut the taxes. So those funds are no longer going to, you know, schools. Uh, TIF funds in, in which you're the expert in, right? Those funds are not going to schools. So we need to cut more and more so money could go elsewhere because these, these, these communities don't, they're not, you know, they're disenfranchised. They can't do nothing about it. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah, no, I, oh, yeah. It's, and I'm being sarcastic because they can do something about it. And that's actually what my research is about. You know, I wrote my dissertation on the hunger strike for, uh, uh, in 2001 for Little Village High School in Little Village. Oh, speaking of Paul Vallis, uh, <laughs> I remember that hunger strike. I wrote about that. God, I've been doing this for a long time, Gabriel. Yes. Yeah. Parents had to go on a hunger strike 
to get the board of education to commit the money to build a high school uh, in Little Village, which which at the time was uh, uh, the schools were, were severely overcrowded. See that that's a whole other issue. You and as a, a scholar of education in Chicago, you notice with demographic ch- trends are constantly changing. So mm-hmm. I've watched the board of ed sort of arriving at an intersection after the accident has occurred, if you will. Do you follow what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. like, particularly in the north side, Rogers Park, I'm not making this up, Gabriel, in the 80s, the schools were overflowing. So about, it took the board in like the, I don't know, the late early 90s, they started building additions to the Roger Park schools. Demographic changes. Roger Park schools aren't overflowing anymore. <laughs> you That's know crazy. what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and you know what I missed the most after the 95 uh, uh, reform of, of Paul Vallis is, uh, I don't know, I mean, you grew up, you know, you grew up in Evanston, uh, the field houses, right? Like, like I went to Mitchell, which is right there, Ohio and, and Levitt. And we had a field house, man. That's why I learned how to play softball, you know, the clincher, uh, basketball, because it was open every day after school. Yeah. And just almost every school had one. After 95, they all closed. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was – and I, I hesitate to call it reform. I know it's what everybody calls it. Right. Uh, but what, what uh, Gabriel's talking about in 1995, uh, the state gave full power to Mayor Daley to yep. run the public school system, and they called it reform. And that's when I first realized anytime anyone in the state of Illinois calls anything reform, look out because it's usually deform. Uh, and, uh, uh, but yeah, no, uh, no, I, there was, but I gotta, I gotta say this, um, in those late nineties, uh, when you were, uh, you were already done with school after you left public school, uh, mayor Daly was kicking in money to, to rebuild, uh, oh my God, there were playgrounds, they spruced up schools. And essentially what they did was they took the money they supposed to be putting in the pension funds uh, and spent it uh, re- redoing schools. And then they called themselves fiduciary uh, wizards uh, because they figured out how to do this and they patted themselves on the back. And then ran Paul Vallis as the guy who you should put in charge of the budgets and got the Chicago Tribune, Tom Tunney, and Richard Gerber to endorse them. Okay, <laughs> just saying Chicago. You know, Paul Vallis, I call him uh, Bernard Epton part two, right? Yes. Wow. <laughs> were you born for that? Yes, you were. All right. Uh, I actually I actually went, Bernard Epton had a rally on the corner right across the from Damien's house and he gave us free hot dogs. I remember that. Well, at least you got something out of that campaign, which is more I can say. All right. So your basic point with charters uh, is that in your humble opinion, you should not just pull the plug on them right now and then force uh, thousands of parents and children to suddenly make an adjustment. You, you, in the, at the very least, there should be a, sort of a, a, a ramp up, if you will, uh, before you have this radical change. Go ahead. No, exactly. Uh, you know, democracy is not immediate. We know that. And, and we should know that from progressive. You know, uh, the mayor ran on a progressive uh, uh, platform. So, you know, being progressive, being democratic, it takes time and we have to engage with parents. To me, parents are, uh, and, and students are the number one stakeholders, right? So, you know, and they have different opinions. And daily, the second daily, he would say that he's like, "No, I'm not going to appoint the board members because I don't want you know differences. I want things to go much more." He he said that openly, right? <laughs> but democracy is the opposite, where it's like, "No, it's going to take some time because we got different." So own up to it. That's that's my advice. But it's, I know it's not easy. I do want to comment that you said about um, Hispanic and, and and black folks and you know tensions. When, when people bring up that, that conversation, I always say, 
it's not that the tensions are direct at each other as, as communities, because both communities in Chicago have you know, issues within themselves. And when, when they do clash, I always say they're just spilling over. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because the levels of trauma is high in both communities, you know? And, and, and that's really like, like uh, one of my colleagues, Dr. Lance Williams, <clears throat> who's in the South uh, Campus at Coretta Center, he does his work in black gangs in Chicago. And he's like, the majority of the instances that we hear today are, are, are over or not knowing how to resolve uh, uh, conflict, right? We have young you know, folks who are traumatized with no type of mentorship, whatever, or programming, and they're just going off on little things, right? So, so to me, when we talk about Tencent, it's really more about both communities need this, these support systems. And, and when we say they're Tencent, then we create this divide. Right, because I know I know couples that are black and Mexican and Puerto Rican. You know what I'm saying? They have kids, so there's love. West Side, West Side got love for everybody. You know, I'm talking about regular people, right? It's you know, to me, it's the leaders, uh, both in Latino community, uh, black community, in terms of like specific particular leaders who who make comments and people are like, you see, <laughs> they only care about their own group. So I just want to comment on that. Uh, uh, you have a group called Kumba Links. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Uh, then, uh, so so they're great friends of mine, and they do great work across uh, cultures in that way in Chicago, right? So I just wanted to make that comment because because uh, you know as a Latino scholar, our history and contributions to this society is never recognized. You know we're always seen as outsiders, right? What we're seeing today, in my opinion because the black community is going down in terms of the population, they're being pushed out, we know that. The CHA, right, you know, they, they you know, they uh, demolish the buildings and just like, hey, you need to go somewhere outside of Chicago, we don't care where, that's what happened. They, they're being dumped all over the state. So there's this fear, and then you have the Latino population growing. So it's a, it's a natural fear, in my opinion, right? Like, oh, what, you know, what about us? Mm -hmm. So we're seeing that now, uh, you know, and it's legit. Like, I don't think that's not legit. It, it is legit because look, you know, the black community has been disenfranchised for so long. Yeah. But what I will say, right, is you know, now you know, Latinos are a third of the city, and it's a different narrative. But unfortunately, when we have two groups, people see it as a competition, and it should not be a competition. And let me add this real quick because I know you want to make some comments. But in terms of uh, of histories, people don't understand that uh, there was a southern underground railroad for, for uh, former enslaved uh, persons that went to Mexico. Like people don't know that history. You know, Mexico, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the second president of Mexico, which is Vicente Guerrero, who's mulatto and black, because he, he was a black Mexican, but he was whitewashed in history. He abolished uh, uh, slavery in 1829 and welcomed uh, the, the, you know, uh, free uh, slaves, right, to, to come, come to Mexico. And we protected them. Right. So those are some history that people don't know. So when they look at us as outsiders, they like, know we're, we're connected. We're, we have a, and that's what I've been focusing on in terms of uh, uh, the last three years of, of our connections and among both communities. All right. Uh, so before I talk about where we are now, let's go back in time and get you to do some reflection here. Uh, and this popped into my head when when you were going on that last riff. So let's be Monday morning quarterbacks. All right. Yeah. Now, looking back from the perspective, the advantage of a, 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 a college professor uh, who's done a lot of reading and scholarship down through the years, and think back to the world that existed in 1990 or 1988 uh, when you entered high school, okay? 
uh, and your parents, again, mm-hmm. Wells, Clemente, there are fights, all right? Uh, it's a uh, scary prospect for, uh, for your parents to send you to one of those schools or for you to even entertain going to one of those schools because of what you've heard, et cetera, right. and so forth. From your perch as a professor, a scholar, uh, from the vantage point of what life has taught you, what would you have done if you had the power, if you were the mayor, if uh, back in 1990, if it was Mayor Cortez instead of Mayor Daly, mm. uh, what would you have done to uh, stop the fighting, heal the situation at right. Wells or Clemente? Gulf? And you said the perfect word, heal. With the knowledge I have today or with the knowledge we had back then, because because we have different approaches today. Fair right? enough. Uh, so let's pretend you could go go back. Oh, I'll, I'll set up a, a show that we could put for Netflix. Uh, so Gabriel Cortez, with your brain today, gets put into the brain of, let me do the math, 16-year-old Gabriel Cortez. Mm. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're 16, but you got your 50-year-old brain. Oh, man, this show... Damien, you could do the graphic arts for this show, okay? Uh, and uh, so, yes, you have the knowledge you have today. Go. So the first things is uh, what, what they were doing back then, they would try to isolate the groups, right? Because it wasn't only Black and Latinos, but it was also gang sections that they were aware of. I remember this because uh, Coach K from, from Wells, he, he was my brother's football coach. He, he was one of the main guys because it's a big guy to, to design strategies. But they were separating them like animals, right? Like, oh, this crowd over here, you know, third floor, this crowd over here, second floor. With the knowledge I have today and, the, and, and um, that I gained from other people's insights, my good friend Rick Miranda, who works for Build Incorporated, he actually is a gang interventionist and does uh, circles. We started our circles with, with different uh, gang members. And he says after several sessions, they see how much they have in common and they help build community despite the fact that they come from different gangs, right? Uh, so we were doing, back then, they were doing the exact opposite of what we should be doing. They're separating everybody and making them more detached, like those people, right? I don't like those people. Whereas what I would have done with today's knowledge, definitely created circles with, with families, with, uh, you know, students of, of different, you know, uh, communities or racial backgrounds, et cetera, and create that space. Back then, because when I went to U of I and I came back and I visited my, my, my uh, uh, former teachers, I had asked the students, what country are they from? Their families, right? Because it was all Latino students, some were from Guatemala, this and that. And my teacher told me, she's like, you don't do that. We're all American. And I go, I get it, but we all have different backgrounds. But with that type of approach, we're not really embracing the cultures of people where they come from, right? So they were doing more of that. So I feel like um, in the late 80s, there was no best practices in that sense (laughs) whatsoever. And, and uh, uh, that's the first thing I would do, right? Second thing is really jump on the LLCs that were just implemented, mm-hmm. right? Remember that? The, the, you know, if people don't know, it was a citywide coalition of, of different Black, Latino, including white organizations that came together to, to you know, make that happen, mm-hmm. right? But we know once uh, the great Harold Washington, the great Harold Washington, my favorite mayor, uh, when he passed, it, it wasn't supported the way it was supposed to. So those are the two things that, that I would definitely have implemented. Uh, 
Wow. And then, you know what they would have said to you back then? Hey, wow, we're making it. Hey, get out of here. <laughs> I restore your justice. I want to restore uh, You know, I, I'll restore this justice over your head. Right. And, 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 and here's the thing. Uh, any situation I've gone into uh, where you have people pouring into one facility from different backgrounds, uh, whether it be a YMCA, whether it be a park district field house, whether it be a public school, whether it be a high school, whatever, you're having people from different backgrounds who hear different things at the dinner, uh, dinner room table. Because this is the other thing that people, <laughs> you, you talk about making myths, Gabriel. We act like that we haven't been growing up hearing all kinds of bigoted things put in our ear at our tables by our parents and older brothers let me tell you about and fill in the blank okay right. and this is what the real just the real talk you know and then right. fill in the right. blank right. okay just because you're saying it doesn't mean it's real you're just saying it <laughs> uh so uh when you bring people from all those backgrounds together it requires like really how do i put this Brilliant leadership. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody in charge who could just like if in the perfect world, in the ideal world, it's Denzel Washington. You know what I mean? Uh, you ever see Return of the Titans? I don't know if you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's the man. Everybody respects him. He commands so much respect by just the way he walks through the hall. Okay. But that's the ideal form that, that Hollywood and Disney put out there. But in reality, you need somebody of with that kind of stature. And we don't respect that. Gabriel, go back to what I said about charter schools. They want teachers to work for cheap. How, how do you reward people in the world, Gabriel? You give them more money. So what are, like a great park district leader? Are you going to make a lot of money? You, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, well, people make good. I mean, again, going back to what you know about who you know, like yeah. <laughs> rich people make great money and don't do much, right? Yeah. You know, they, they get these positions, and we know that about Chicago and other places. But uh, in terms of leadership, we need like, like uh, you know, this is one thing that that uh, I don't agree with with the, with, with the current mayor. Uh, I love his energy. I love his ideas. Uh, I do want him to succeed. But what I haven't seen, he really hasn't brought up Latino leadership the way I would have seen. The only Latinos that have gotten positions are the politicos who are representatives who campaign for them, right? But when I'm talking about appointing seats for commissioners and you know other leaders in, or, or units in, in City Hall, the representation of, of Latinos is very low. And we're one third of the city, and, and that's something, you know, that's something to me is an issue because we're seeing how it's playing out right now uh, in, in Latino communities with, with, with this crisis, right? When, when I'm talking to immigrant groups, organizations say, hey, how, how are you working with the city? They're like, we're not. We can't get a hold of anybody in the city, but we're helping families find places to live. And we're, you know, so they're doing the work, yeah. but they're just not connected. And, and to me, is you know, you need to, this is why you need to uh, uh, really diversify your the people around you because you need people who know these communities. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, ICER, I-C-I-I-R, they've been doing this work for more than 20 years. Probably, you know, I'm, you know so, so why are, I think they're in now. I know uh, uh, 
New Life is in now uh, doing services at the new uh, shelter on, on, on 26 in uh, Pulaski. And that to me is like cool about time because Spanish speaking people, for all these people who came in who are traumatized, just, just the fact that they speak Spanish alone can be comforting, right? You know, just that alone. But of course, we want more. All right. So help me out on this one. Why hasn't, I think you already answered this. Remember, the, the, the Latino community of Chicago is not a monolith. You know, Gabriel just said they come from all different countries of the world. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually answered my question before I asked it. No, 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 ask me that question. Ask the question. Why hasn't all these, the Latino community, come together as one to say, we welcome you, Venezuelans. We well, welcome you, Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters. Okay? What, why hasn't that happened? And instead, the older woman in the 12th Ward, man, they were booing her and cheering her. I'm like, I'm looking, is there, just today, the story in the paper, uh, Brandon John, Mayor Johnson saying, Pritzker, put more shelters in the suburbs. We don't want them in Chicago. Like, wow. We're, like, where are our aldermen? There's got, I forget how many Hispanic uh, aldermen are in the city right now. Where are they? Where are they standing up to say, no, we want, we want uh, immigrants, Hispanic immigrants to come to Chicago and we will do everything we can to welcome there. What's going on, Gabriel? So in my opinion, right, uh, I think like there's a few things uh, before we even get into that, because uh, one, we're not monotonous, right? We're, we come from different, you know, countries, we come from different uh, socioeconomic status, backgrounds. There's a big difference even between someone uh, from Mexico who comes from the rancho, which is the ranches, then someone who's Spanish descended, you know, from Mexico City who is affluent, right? So, so there's a lot of variety of who we are and coming in with those type of political, you know, agendas, right, or, or philosophies. So we're not the same, but I think in the United States we get, you know, we, we like to think about things in the binary sense. It's either this or this, right? And, and like uh, when you look at race, according to uh, uh, you know the, the oppressors, they established if you have a drop of black blood in you, you're black, right? You know that's that's the way we ab uh, we abide in this nation. In Latin America, they had a racial hierarchy, a caste system that the Spanish had designed, and depending on the mixture between African, Spanish, indigenous, even like Asian, you had over sixteen different categories of of how you were you know, according to your, your uh, uh, features. And so in terms of binary, it has a, there's a full spectrum over here. And then when people argue, they're like, you know, are you black or no? And it's like, like my wife, she's Afro-Colombian. And she's like, oh no, I'm not black. The black people live in Palenque. I'm Morena. Morena is like a different. And some people uh, say that's being like, she's not recognizing her blackness. Like, no, this is their system, how they grew up. And let me just say, both systems are messed up. They're both, <laughs> you know, colon colonization systems. So if we're arguing which one's better than, you know, I'm not even going to partake in that. But the, the important thing is that there's a different lens and there's a, a wider spectrum of how we look at things that we're not taking into consideration, you see? And what I tell people in, in terms of Latin America, the grand narrative is the Atlantic uh, trade of the enslaved. Right, that, that came in from West Africa all to the Americas. We think it's just the United States. The majority went to Brazil and, and the Americas, right? And so that's our grand narrative, going into indigenous lands and then being pushed over right by European colonizers. 
But then people like me, who's light-skinned, I'm a result of that. <laughs> Wait, my, grandmother has, my grandmother has indigenous features, right? But but she's been detribalized, de- so she doesn't even know what you know what tribe she comes from or nation. So uh, that's just, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. The question. Uh, so in other words, uh, it's it's a community that's not really a community. So it's not right. I mean, it's a continent. I mean, no, what I'm talking about in Chicago. In Chicago, the, the, uh, what we the Latino community in Chicago is a quote unquote community, but it's not really a one community. No, it's not, and there's different fact uh, factions, right? So you have the the Mexican community, which is about sixty percent of the Latino community. We're a third of the city. Uh, the net, uh, we're about sixty percent. The next group uh, is about six percent. No, nine percent, which is the, the Puerto Rican community, right? Then underneath that, every group is probably about six five percent or less. So Mexicans stand out, right? And we always ask, like, what's going on? Why don't we have political leaders in the, from you know? And we do. Chuy Garcia being one of them, but but we should have more. Why don't we have that? And why don't we have this stance? I agree with you. Uh, this is. To me, this is what uh, my opinion on this. A lot of families are still uh, transnational, where they're not really from. You know, they don't see themselves as being from here. If you ask any uh, uh, a patriarch of the family, like, oh yeah, I'm gonna retire in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> that's the plan, right? Make your money here, buy that big. And some actually do do it, right? But but that's the mindset. I think that has something to do with it. What I tell people in terms of, of Latinidad is like a lot of Latinos, either if they were the immigrants themselves or, or their parents or maybe even third generation, we have this uh, lens of, of opportunity, right? And, and, and it's not just Latinos, it's immigrants. Because my boy, uh, Dr. Steve uh, Paris, he's like, hey, Gabe, my family's from Jamaica and it's the same thing. Like, like we came here uh, looking for opportunity and then looking at the African-American community like, oh, how come they're not working? That's hard, you know. All immigrants uh, do that. Am I justifying it? Hell no, right? But the the different lens is the black community is like, no, we've been here, and they're gonna exploit you. <laughs> we know, right? This is not, you know, gonna come back to you 100, percent you know, just because we've been here. And whereas these new immigrants come in, they see it more as an opportunity, and they don't necessarily advocate as harder, yeah. right? Right? Uh, uh, and and I, and I tell people that all the time. I'm like. It's not to justify it, but, but it's a different lens. People want uh, a good number of Latino males that I have seen go into business, not necessarily like the humanities in, in terms of getting their degree. So, so people are just trying, like, I came here to make some money. I'm not trying to be this political or, or whatever. So that's my opinion on that. But then you also have Catholicism that's a big in our, in our community. I'm second generation. Uh, it's funny, when my dad had a stroke, uh, the champagne asked him, he's like, are you Catholic? And my dad's like, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, was, right now. <laughs> and he wasn't even joking. He was just like, sometimes, right? Yeah. But but like, we're not closely like uh, tied to the church, but other families are. So so when you have a conservative say their slogans or whatever, it, it catches with them. But also the Dems, like for example, um, Mayor uh, Brandon Johnson, he didn't talk much about Latinos in this campaign. You know, he didn't say, you know, all he talked about was the migrant crisis. And we have to understand the recent migrants are completely different from the Latino community who's already here, right? So so people think that just because they're covering the migrant issue, that's the Latino issue, that's wrong. One, we're, we're the majority of CPS, 49%. And now more with this, you know, new students, right? We don't learn Latino history. We don't. Uh, uh, there was actually... Uh, 
a, uh, a survey, a five uh, essential uh, survey in uh, uh, civic studies and CPS. And they found out that Latino students are the cultural group that least see themselves in the curriculum, right? And, and that is crucial. For, uh, people don't understand either that the Latino history was cut off from us. So, so we're cut off from understanding our own history of trauma, wars. You know, I'm from the Rio Grande, which is the border area, right? I got family in Brownsville. I used to live in Brownsville, four blocks from the border. Uh, but like learning that history recently, I'm like, oh, no wonder my dad was always pissed. Like, there was a lot of trauma <laughs> in this region. People don't know that there was a, a between 19, uh, I think 10 and 1920, uh, hundreds of Mexicans were lynched by the Texas Rangers, right? And, and I'm like, I wonder how much of that, because yeah, in my, I'm, I'm going to admit, there's a, there's a lot of trauma, like my cousins, all of that from my, the elders, you see it, but I never made that connection, right? Yeah. But this is why it's important to know that history. Well, we're seem to be going in the other direction. We're running out of time, but I mean, I, I'm introducing a topic that could probably be an hour's worth. Right. Uh, but uh, I've had this conversation many times uh, with other guests, uh, Gabriel, but uh, Nikki Haley, uh, who's running for president as a Republican, uh, was not able to answer uh, the Civil War question when posed directly to her, what was the cause of the Civil War? She couldn't bring herself to say that it was slavery. Uh, and so you talk about history uh, and amnesia and uh, the position of the Republican Party uh, right now when it comes to American history uh, is that, yes, slavery existed, but it was not necessarily a bad thing. And we should stop talking about it anyway, because uh, this is the land of opportunity. Uh, we should send out a different uh, message that all people are equal uh, if we could just get rid of wokeism uh, and uh, affirmative action. If we could just get rid of the one program that helps black people the most directly, right. directly, right. okay, we get rid of that, then all things will be equal. Uh, but that's the position of the Republican Party. That's the his position, more or less, of the Republican Party right now. Uh, and uh, so that people don't want to know history, mm -mm. Uh, Gabriel, nope. in my humble opinion. Your thoughts? Well, uh, you know, and it's sad because uh, in the United States, geography and history is one of the lowest, uh, you know, favorite, least favorite uh, subjects, and, and it's telling, <laughs> right? Uh, we don't even know uh, people uh, on Dudas. What part of Mexico is that? Like, no, no, right? But this is what happens. Uh, Joaquin Castro made a great comment uh, a few years back. He's like, nobody knows who we are, Latinos are, and it's actually dangerous. So we're seeing that. We're seeing as outsiders. I mean, it's sad. I'm sorry, but like during Black Lives Matter, Humble Park, Logan Square, uh, you had Pilsen, you had Little Village. We had marches for Black Lives Matter. It's sad to see, like, you know, you have different Black communities chanting, build that wall, build that wall. And it's just like, wait a minute, what's going on? Right. Oh, man, we all been brainwashed by Trump. Every single person in America has been brainwashed and gaslit by Trump. And it's like they won't even admit it. Damn. You get what I'm saying? So Damn. rather than have Sanctuary City put on the ballot so that the city of Chicago vote on it, uh, Mayor Johnson and his allies say, no, let's keep it off the ballot because I think we'll lose. Yeah, right now, that's where it's going. Yeah, yeah. 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 keep it off. Well, we keep it off. So, so, well, that won't change the attitudes. If this city is about to defeat a sanctuary city uh, measure, right? those attitudes that would defeat it will exist even if you don't put it on the ballot. Do you follow what I'm saying, Gabriel? Oh, so uh, we're just avoiding the situation, in my humble opinion. 
Well, well, this tension is fabricated, right? Because, because, uh, uh, you know, why aren't we talking about the Ukrainians? How they're being taken care of? You know, there, there are more ref Ukrainian refugees than actually Venezuelans, but they're being taken care of by the federal government, right? They, they have uh, SNAP benefits, they have uh, uh, Medicare benefits. Once they step onto this country, right? We know what's the difference. They're white, right? They come from Europe. Uh, Trump said it. He goes, "We don't want migrants from." Whole countries, right? <laughs> we want, you said that, so now we're following up on that, right? So no, he said he, Trump when he, this is so twisted, man. He goes Mexico, who they're not sending their best people. Remember, remember he said yeah, that Mexico's right. not, and everybody in the United States going, yeah, yeah. And I'm laughing because like, like what? What immigrant was quote unquote the best person sent by any? You get what I'm saying? <laughs> It's like no one is the well, I don't even know what it means the best, you know. It's yeah, such a, a and to, to see so many people buy into Trump's logic or illogic. That's well, the gaslighting of America. Go. It, it, it's the narrowing of our politics, right? No one really knows what democracy is. No one knows what ne neoliberalism is. Ask people; they don't know what it means, right? And for me, like I take pride in still being part of a working class immigrant family and, and engaging with folks that are regular people and academia, because in academia, they get lost on it. Mm -hmm. you know, they think that, you know, and, and you, you mentioned woke people. I love wokeness. Yes, we need to be woke, but we need to follow it up with work because uh, we have too many woke people on social media just making comments and trying and trying to just, just call out people. But the work is engaging with folks. You have to engage. We need to learn how to engage with people who have differences. And I don't see that with the mayor's administration right now. And it's, that's dangerous. Yeah, I uh, will close with this at the risk of being uh, naive. And I know some of my listeners will say I'm tremendously naive when I say this. I do believe uh, that uh, that that formula you just said, I love woke, but we have to follow up with work. Uh, could best be illustrated by ha putting a sanctuary city on a ballot uh, because it would force the woke people of Chicago to go to work Damn. promoting Damn. and trying to win over public acceptance of their principles instead of running away from a public fight over that. So, yeah, I, I, I buy into what you just said. I'm probably going to steal that line and use it all the time. Hey, I, credit. I will give you credit. He got me on the show. That's my gift. <laughs> Uh, I love woke, but we have to follow up with work. All right, Gabriel, I'm going to close the conversation now because anything else I could see uh, you and I uh, share love uh, for the talking and thoughts and ideas. Uh, and I got a feeling that if I open up any more uh, conversation, it's going to be another hour. So I'll just invite you to come back and continue the conversation, particularly as the election year unfolds. Take a look at, let's see, you know, how uh, Latino voters are, what direction they're going. Are they going for Trump? You know? Trump bragging, I'm going to get all the Latinos and black people to vote for me, this, that, and the other thing, you know. Well, we got uh, one candidate who wants the Civil War and the other one who wants World War III. Which one do we ever get a vote for? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you now you sound like Trump. Trump goes, Biden's going to bring on World War III. And he says it so much, sometimes he gets mixed up. And he goes, he's going to bring on World War II. <laughs> he gets all mixed up. Okay. Right. I meant World War III, okay? I didn't mean World War II. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Gabriel. Appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me, Ben. I look forward for the next one.
Excellent. All right. That's Gabriel Cortez. I also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. I think Professor Cortez will agree with me when I say, hey, Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can always stay updated on previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, columns from Ben Jarofsky, and columns from so many other great reader writers at chicagoreader.com. Follow Ben on Instagram at Benny J Show. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow The Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms. find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader